Purple Elephant shower thought of the day. Shouldn't iPhone chargers be called apple juice? Kind of seems like a missed opportunity. This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. This summer, I've been working on a big project, a book, a book for creatives, for artists, for content creators. This book is called Purple Elephant Artist, art and essays for creatives. With the help of some wonderful people, Sveta Wannenberg, Jada Bennett, and Olivia Childs, we have made something awesome. You know, I think there are an abundance of online courses and books that revolve around teaching specific skills whether it's marketing tactics or actual techniques when it comes to creative mediums. But what I think is underrated is the mindset behind creativity, the psychology, the philosophy, the why of why we create. So really what this whole book is revolving around is what are the mindset shifts you need to make? What are the questions you need to ask yourself? The questions only you can answer. Your original work without feeling like you have to mimic someone. My whole intention for this thing is to prove to you that you are capable of creating, of being creative. And I hope that it will inspire you to create your own brand, your own art, your own stories. So please check the link in the description. Go on Amazon, either pre-order or order that book, depending on when you're hearing this. And I promise you, it will be worth your while. We're finally on episode four of this mini bonus series, kind of promoting and expanding on the ideas in The Purple Elephant Artist, the book I'm releasing by the time this is airing. And episode four of this will be focused on the fourth section of the book, Become. And I've mentioned this before, but I'm breaking up this section into become, becoming the artist and becoming the content creator because I think they're worth differentiating. And for this part one of this become section, I've invited Sveta Wannenberg on. And I the reason I'm doing that is A, because I think as an artist, as an illustrator, she has a lot of insights that can really help with this idea of what does it mean to become the artist. And also she's been a, a massive contributor and a, a huge part of creating this book and creating illustrations for it. So I think it's worth her being on the bonus series of this and she will also mark the first repeat guest on purple elephant radio so this is not going to be a normal interview if you want to hear more about sveta's life and her story you can check out episode 10 this is going to be more we're talking about the topics we're talking about um, what does it mean to become identity everything and just bouncing ideas off each other hearing insights from the other person and so I, I will still open with a question though, Sveta, and I want to hear, has there ever been a time where you kind of swapped from the mindset of, you know, I, I do art as a hobby, I like art, to I'm an artist, I'm going to get paid for my craft? Was there a, a moment in time? Um, prop, I would say probably mi- like sophomore year, high school, 
when I was starting to look for colleges and just like what to do with your life, which is such a weird thing to have to do when you're in high school to figure out. When I was like, you know what, I'm going to do art as a career, whether I like parts of it or not, because in every career, there's going to be things that you don't like. And I think creative endeavors and careers get the misconception that people are fully enjoying every part of it. Like directors just get to live on movie sets and have fun, things like that. And that's not true. And sometimes it's harder because you're taking something you love like art and you're going to have to do something you don't like with it and just keeping that love for it, even if you have to handle commissions and people and conversations and things like that. So kind of making that decision, like I want to do art, I want to do illustration, whether I'm going to have to learn graphic design and text and things I don't like, I want to stick because I like it so much, it transfers over. Um, And that was a major thing in my episode with Kara, Mm -hmm. where we talked about essentially her route um, as it stands for her today is, you know, going more of the nine to five job. And I mean, she has a really great job as a director in kind of this advertising firm. But basically her argument was for comedy, not necessarily art, saying that she's going to treat it like a hobby. And because she's treating it like a hobby, not trying to become a professional, get paid, get famous, she can really enjoy the moment. And I think when you dive into saying, I'm going to become a, a professional with my craft, whether that's something like this, speaking, talking, or illustrating or filmmaking, when you make that decision to the professional mindset, I think that's a really good point that you bring up of you realize it's not all sunshine and, and roses. Mm-hmm. And someone who treats it like a hobby can allow themselves to think that. And there's no danger in that. Yeah. And so I think there's almost this like maturity that comes when you're like, I'm going to go full into it, even if there are compromises I have to make, you know, sacrifices. And so I wonder, I mean, you mentioned the the graphic design, learning graphic design. Have there been any kind of disillusionments as you've got more into getting paid for what you're doing in the sense of like maybe all the people that, you know, I've worked for aren't always great or, you know, this area I realized I had to learn even though I didn't like it. What were some of those areas for you? That I learned just for through commissions or like through? I think anything because right now you're doing animation stuff. So you can also kind of talk about that. Yeah, I think a big part of the creative jobs that people don't realize is that you need to learn not only how to make it, but how to translate it to people who aren't creative or doing the creative job. And half of the work is just like, let's say you draw something, half of that drawing goes into communicating it through Instagram where you have to write something, hashtag it, and kind of figure out a way to present it and package it for someone who doesn't understand or like really comprehend all of the time you put into it. Mm -hmm. So like for my animation job, I made this like two minute video, which to animators, they're like, oh my gosh, two minutes? Like that's so much work and time. And to my boss, I had to completely like take him through all of the programs I was doing and show him why it was taking so long. Because I'm like, every little piece I am drawing and then I have to import and move and just kind of figuring out kind of a way to dumb it down to somebody who doesn't fully understand. Because I wouldn't understand unless I took the time to learn it. And so kind of unlearning and presenting your art to people like that, if that makes sense. But just 
knowing going in that you're going to have to do that and that's going to take us like a pretty big chunk of your time and you can't just create. That's why it's not all just sunshine and roses because you have to create, which is the fun part, but then you have to do the communication. Yeah. Yeah. And um, well, I am splitting this kind of episode into two parts. I keep talking about that artist versus content creator, but I think what we're going to realize is, and I just want to keep recording because we may just split this episode into two parts, but the content creator and the artist really bleed over into each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think when people dream about, you know, getting paid to make art, they imagine themselves as as the artist. And I would differentiate that from the content creator, kind of the way I would differentiate uh, an illustrator versus like a painter, where the artist mindset is, I'm going to make whatever I want and people will bid on my priceless works of art. And the the content creator, the, the illustrator the one doing something for other people, they still going to make their mark through their art, except now they're helping someone with their vision, someone else's vision. And I think what I try to, what I'm trying to say is that you can, anyone can kind of have both at the same time where you're probably going to get paid doing the work for other people and, you know, dreaming about, you know, oh, I'm going to get paid for the new NFT I made and it's, you know, going to make me tens of thousands of dollars. I don't think, I mean, you can have that dream, but the kind of disillusionment sets in when you realize, okay, the way I'm going to get paid is by compromising, not losing my dignity, but compromising, communicating, uh, making changes so that other people are content. And I think this brings up kind of the, the world of business and, and entrepreneurship and realizing that you have to put the customer first. You have to put the audience first. And I think that's a big thing that I see from the, you know, the business books that I read. It's always customer first, customer first. And with artists, I don't think we're often taught to yeah. put the audience member first. It's we're trying to express ourselves. And when we, you know, only focus on expressing ourselves, I think this is the challenge that set in for me. And maybe you can speak on this too. Thinking that I didn't have anything to say because, you know, I never went through any major life problems. So, you know, what could I express? I don't have any deep stories. And for me, that learning process came and realizing that I can help other people feel good. I don't have to like pour my sorrows out and make art out of that. Because I think, you know, now that we have more kind of affluence in our society as a whole, people want to be artists. People realize that, oh, I have the time to make art. And not everyone has, you know, very horrific life stories. And right. and so I wonder if you can speak on that of like, I mean, I know you kind of have a very interesting life story of being adopted, but yeah, I don't your art, I mean, me. what have you always kind of made art about? It's never been, yeah. I don't know, maybe you could speak on that. Well, okay. So I wanted to touch on the audience versus the self and the artist, the creator versus the content maker. And the way I think about it is that and we were kind of talking about illustration and the magazine, but an artist meditates and an illustrator communicates. And so in that... Can you expand on that? Yeah, so artist content creator can be... Or illustrator and content creator can be interchanged in that. But the artist makes art in a meditative form, and so it's more of... It doesn't matter what the outcome is. It's the process and the way that they're living through and experiencing the making of the art. And then the content creator is communicating the art. So you can get in that flow state and meditate and have an end result that communicates one thing to the other. 
And I think that's my favorite thing about illustration is that it is inclusive of other people and you get to communicate one person's great writing to somebody else who doesn't necessarily understand writing as well through a visual aspect. So that's why I like illustration and content creators because they have that just interpersonal kind of element versus just the not selfish but more self evolved yeah I, I kind of get what you're saying so like hobbies are more meditative because it doesn't matter if who other it's people for. Are, yeah but jobs are not but you can while you're making it be like oh i want to meditate or like get in the flow state for this job and figure out if you can get that control of yourself and be like, I have this job to do. The end result needs to be this, but while I'm making it, I'm going to get coffee, wake up early and get in that good state and get in that flow state and meditate through it. Then that's like a game. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say too, um, <clears throat> cause I kind of talked to my brother about this and he was like, the customer's always right. But then part of me is like, well, I'm an artist and they're hiring me for my creative mind because they're not, they haven't studied and like really surrounded themselves with that kind of thinking. So that's why they hired me is to be creative. And so some elements are not the customer's always right. And so I think of it as like a pendulum swinging back, like what does the customer want? And once you get a good clear idea about that, swing past back to what would I do? And then don't stay there too long. So when you peek at that, swing back to what does... So you're kind of pivoting back and forth. It's constantly like moving. And you're thinking about both the whole time. But sometimes you're doing more of what you would want to do. And sometimes like when you're talking to the customer, you're just thinking about what the customer wants. So it's never a full black and white. Yeah, and that transitions into a good point about kind of really what is creativity? Is creativity the hand that paints or is it the mind that imagines what's going to go on the canvas? Yeah. And I would argue that it's the mind that's more important. It's it's the, the creative thought, the imagination, because as technology gets stronger, I mean, I've already seen this on the rise and I talked about this in my conversation with Felix, uh, which may not have already come out yet, but, you know, AI can now write paragraphs of, advertising copy and it's not going to be long before it can start writing novels and and really we've seen ai or at least you know some technology has been able to take a photo and make it look hand drawn hand painted well why doesn't everyone do that some people want the artist's touch and i think that's the thing that can't be no matter how strong technology gets it, and this is definitely a belief i mean it's definitely an opinion but there's going to be some stuff that even if AI can do it better because the the artistic mind, the, the person that you kind of hire, you don't want their hand. You want what they're thinking about. You want their vision. And so, yeah, it, it's really kind of I differentiate creative thought versus, you know, just the ability, the skill, the technical skill yeah. to make something, to film something, to know how to set my camera settings right. And the way I think about it is like in illustrations – I can only make certain illustrations that other people will never be able to make because of like, let's say I put things in it from my childhood or things that only I experienced. And it's a combination of things I've seen, experienced and thought about and consumed that go into that illustration. So my argument with the AI doing that is that every AI will have every experience and every thing on the possible internet to pull from. 
where if you hire a human or a person to to make art, they're only pulling from what they've been the collection of their experiences versus the internet. Two things that come to my mind are the infinite monkey theorem, mm -hmm. which I, I have mentioned. I'm, I'm sure you've heard it, but just for people who don't know, it's, you know, if you give a monkey unlimited time and a, a typewriter, it will type every great work of, of literature, every great song, and, you know, stuff that had never been written but is absolutely fantastic, and also a whole lot of junk, a whole lot of words that don't make any sense, sentences that don't go together. And so really when we look at AI and, you know, what will become its capability of being able to do everything infinitely, realizing that sometimes humans, sometimes the, the artist's mind makes decisions that aren't rational, but because they're not rational and decisive, I mean, mm -hmm. let me rephrase that, because the human mind makes decisions that aren't rational, but decides on them. It's not like, uh, you know, what's the best way? It's like this, you know, maybe I have some lingering thought from my childhood. I'm picking that even if I can't articulate why. Because we're very limited in our worldview, that touches our, you know, kind of our style. Yeah. Whether or not we have influence over it, that's a different question of, you know, determinism, free will. But regardless of that, I think, yes, an AI could mimic, you know, one artist style like that, especially as it gets stronger. But the question is, if it wasn't the originator of it, you know, why, why would it do that? Maybe for famous artists, I could see a monetary incentive. Mm -hmm. And again, this goes back to my conversation with Felix, but why would an AI just create art for no reason other than to create it? Well, I think the big thing, because with the monkey theorem and it typing every novel ever it doesn't know that it typed a novel like it doesn't become a novel until someone takes it and reads it and is like this is a novel and communicates it to other people yeah. so let's say it made all these different pieces of artwork it doesn't become art until somebody consumes it and identifies as it like this is cool this is and then and realizing that everyone has a different taste so right. one person may love it one person may hate it right and that's the good thing about like humans making art they have that weird little irrational, irregular element they add to it because they're not a machine. And so when people, other people see it, they're going to relate to it better because they're like, oh, I'm, ir I'm irregular. And that little part of the art that's weird, I really like for some reason. So I think, and I like the idea of like us achieving faster ideas through AI and then taking that to our advantage and applying art to it. So let's say, I find a story that an AI thing wrote that I would have never come across, I could take that and illustrate it and kind of just using it to our advantage versus being scared of it or working against it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other idea that I wanted to bring up was the infinite hotel paradox. Because I mean, really, this conversation of AI always makes me think of infinity. And with the infinite hotel paradox, and this is meant to fill someone with hope, is if a hotel is completely booked and it has infinite rooms, and let's say in this example, each room represents a style or, you know, what could have been written, what could have been painted, every single thing that's ever been made has been made. That's what this represents. Because we're talking about infinity, the way, let's say, uh, one person comes in and they want to stay in a room, you move everyone down one room. And now 
room one is open and the person who was in room one moves to room two, two moves to three and so on for infinity. And to me, what that says is even if everything that could be invented has been invented and it's accountable infinity, I would ask you, write everything down that's ever been, you know, invented, write every story idea and I'll add plus one, you know, and, and that's like, oh, I see all this stuff. How about those two elements? Those two have never been combined. And so I don't think, you know, art or creativity, no matter how fast AI can ever, can ever just be finished and everything that's been said has been said. I don't think that's true. I mean, really, you know, maybe another language gets invented that's more complex, more letters. I mean, that wouldn't surprise me, you know, if, if someday, 100 years from now, we have a, a 100 letters and maybe it shows up as the, the slightest flashes of light that now our AI brains can pick up on and we can basically say a, a 100 hours worth of speech in these like micro flashes. Yeah. And because we're just so much faster, we can pick up on that stuff. And so all that's to say is no matter how fast we get, no matter how um, many ideas are created, there's always going to be that plus one. And the more it creates, the more ele- like pieces it has to put new creations together. Because when I think about the hotel theory, I think about like different artists in different rooms. So it's like Norman Rockwell's in room one. And then give me like a music artist. Uh, uh, Kanye West. <laughs> Kanye West is in room two. And there's a new guest. Norman Rockwell will move into Kanye West's room. And then that's like a new thing. Yeah, combining those two combining, elements. So it's just combinational. But then, let's say a new guest, a new piece is the Kanye West, Norman Rockwell piece combined with something else. So it's just yeah. constantly compounded. And then after a while, it becomes its own Norman Rockwell. Because Norman Rockwell, that's my example, but is a combination of tons of different things mm-hmm. that were so far back that we just made it into its own element. Yeah. And now it's doing. So I completely agree that there's never going to be a time where we don't have pieces to work with and create. Yeah. And I, I definitely think, um, I don't know how we got on AI, but that that always takes the the topic into the, the far out future. Yeah. And so I want to bring it back to. There was a question I didn't answer. Yeah, Because I went back too far. But you were asking why or like how to not pull from, wait, if you don't have an emotional tragic past how not to lean into that and that kind of when people or not even like emotionally complex just interesting Mm -hmm. because i think that's you know i grew up in the suburbs not that crazy of stories i think that's what people differentiate yeah it's not necessarily like oh did you have severe trauma it's like did you live a, a wild life yeah okay yes i do have an interesting starting story i think but then it like middle life i feel like is a little bit Un, not a, uneventful, not boring, but just... Just uh, similar to other people's. Yeah. And I think, because I don't use the orphan adopted and she was from Russia type of yeah. thing in my art to get that attention, kind of just so I can make sure that I'm making art based on something else, because I can't just fully lean into four years of my life and hope that that's enough. But basically, not leaning into something as a safety net. Like let's say your arm gets cut off when you're six, not basing your whole life around that one event is gonna help you look for more things to talk about Mm -hmm. or look for even in the minor detail of like playing tag as a kid, like 
people relate to that and being like, oh, I want to pull from that and make something and be like, once that's done, look for something else in your life or look outside of what you've experienced and be like, I want to go here and experience something and try to make art from wherever I go. And so I think it is cool when people um, pull from important events of our life, of their life and people remember artists that do so. Um, But I don't think it's, it's necessary. Yeah. Like the artist Basquiat, he was a homeless guy, and I think it was Andy Warhol or somebody like very famous found him or found his art because um, he was like painting on the side of the street. And now he's like a world-renowned, super rich artist, super cool abstract art, but it's not, the art isn't about being homeless and it's not like a political statement about being homeless. It's his is meditative art that was recognized by a former artist. And he probably pulled from experiences and passions led from homelessness, but he's not basing it tunnel visioned. I was homeless, now I'm not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think we're definitely diving into some of the older, the other sections of this book of think and consume, mm-hmm. where, you know, maybe you did have a, a very rough childhood or maybe you didn't. Whether or not you did, you can pull from anything that even you're not directly, you know, related to. You can pull from the books you read, the the job experiences you've had, yeah. and it can be mundane. And we've seen countless examples. I mean, especially in stand up comedy, but you know, just any medium where the mundane is kind of celebrated, mm-hmm. and it's people who have lived the mundane life and have said that you know we can make art out of this. And people want to be wowed, but they also want to be related to. Mm-hmm. So people aren't just going to be consuming the best of the, the craziest stories all of the time. Sometimes they want to watch just a sitcom or something that makes them laugh because they've also been through that. Yeah. So I think both forms of art are important because both can be viewed together. Yeah, and so this this brings up the kind of differentiating entertainment versus art and really quick the way i define them or kind of differentiate them is art is risky um when it was made at you know at its time either it wasn't totally you know respected or people were like oh this is too much too vulgar you know somehow moving the needle Mm -hmm. and entertainment i think really goes more into the the content creator side of what do people want what do people expect how can i serve them I think I personally probably consume more entertainment than art, but I kind of respect both sides of them, realizing that you need to move the needle forward to just keep culture running, to keep it – keep aiming for something. But you also need to kind of fill the cracks. You can't just set a lofty goal, create this lofty work of art without creating steps to get there. And to me, the content creator, the the entertainer – is the steps to get mm-hmm. to that to that lofty goal that maybe an artist set. Yeah. But I, I want to bring it back to more present times. Um, and I think there's a lot of change going on, not, you know, obviously in the world, but in terms of, you know, you and I, we're both about to graduate from college relatively soon. Mm-hmm. And this brings up the question of, you know, you know, not having a safety net anymore. Right now, I can work on kind of the purple elephant stuff, the podcast stuff and be like, uh, yeah, I can do this in between classes, 
but eventually it's going to get to that point where, oh, I'm needing to work this amount of hours to sustain myself in this for this lifestyle. And I guess I want to bring up the idea of like influences from parents and peer, well-meaning parents and peers who maybe don't necessarily see how an artist can sustain themselves. And I honestly think the people who believe the starving artist myth are the people who aren't wanting to go that route. It's the people who, you know, maybe they gave up on goals or maybe they never had them, but they had always seen themselves as going to be a business manager and that's my life. Those I think are the people who buy into the myth Mm -hmm. and because they buy into it, because they've never analyzed it because they have no need to, they kind of unwittingly take it out on people who, who have inspected it and realized that, you know, I'm willing to take my chances. I'm willing to take the risk. I think it's more not overblown, but you know, their successes, their other routes besides, you know, the, the fine art route that we kind of defined earlier. But I want to know how has it been dealing with, I think more family and parents, not necessarily peers. Cause we're all, we kind of have, you know, art friends, you know, entertainer friends. How has it been dealing with parents? I mean, do you ever feel like you get boiled down to Sveta draws um, and not, and kind of there's almost this like when someone says that yeah. they're like, oh, you kind of do yeah. arts and crafts, but not really as a job. How have you – yeah, tell me about your spe- yeah. experience and how you've dealt with that. I think my parents, I've communicated well enough to them by now that they understand like I'm not nervous about where I'm going or like what I'm doing. And so they've kind of caught on. I think right in the beginning, like high school, they were like art for college. But – also like we support whatever you do (laughs) you know so I think the hardest part is when they tell people they're like oh what's Sveta going to school for and they're like oh she's a Mizzou for art and that like sec that minute of their facial expression kind of sometimes sucks because I'm like not art like don't tell them I'm doing art or drawing tell them like illustration or you know but it's to the point where I'm like, I can't fully communicate to my parents' friends through my parents exactly what I'm doing and that I'm going to be okay. But I think it's hard just getting that notion of, oh, she's not going to work hard enough to make it or, oh, she thinks it's just going to be fun fun and games um, because of that starving artist method. And I think the starving artist came from when people were trying, well, it, in a, in a society that didn't have as much wealth yeah. as a kind of a, an econ- in the economy, yeah. you know, if you try to be a, an artist at the Great Depression, Not yeah, you're screwed. Um, right. And just like when people, the big factory jobs and they needed people to work more, more manual label, labor geez, than like creative jobs, they're going to kind of push down that need for creativity and art because they need more people working these other jobs which are needed but now that we have more technology and don't need them as much it opens up room for creative jobs and there's so much art everywhere that it's just so hard to communicate like you need it you use it through your business jobs you're gonna use that graphic design and that advertising those illustrations to get your product across what whatever it is so my parents are 
good. They completely understand. But I think it's just like the friends of parents or just like other people who knew me from grade school and high school. And they're like, oh, Sveta's an artist. She drew in school. I'm like, I'm an artist, but I've considered it's not going to be fun and games. It's going to be hard work. And I still want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I can definitely relate to, and you didn't even touch on this, but the fact is at Mizzou, there isn't really an illustration major and you're kind of doing your own route. And I feel like I can relate to this in the sense of, I just tell people I'm in film production and I do film. And that's really not fully what I do. I mean, maybe in my classes, but considering that Purple Elephant, I spend probably more time on it than my classes. I mean, especially in the summer, realizing that you can't just say I'm building a brand because that makes no sense. And I think one of the things people kind of think of when they think of a creative is, or not in this ne- doesn't apply necessarily to artists specifically, but you tell people, oh, you know, I'm going to freelance or, oh, I'm going to try to start my own business, right. the entrepreneur, the freelancer. And well, because as a culture, we haven't had the need for like, you know, everyone becoming a freelancer and everything that, uh, yeah, everything that I've been reading about, you know, future predictions, future trends in the job market is freelancers are only going to get there's only going to be more of them in the population. There's only going to there's going to be more big businesses laying people off as automation can kind of do the job of the manager, can do the job of the accountant. Yeah. And it's realizing that getting in front of that trend, I think that's a huge part of my message is realizing that the world is going to change, so we're going to need more creativity. And not only that, but creatives have to realize that their asset is not in their hand. It's not in their ability to use technology because the ability to use a camera has gone down immensely. The ability to take a photo has gone down immensely. And when you realize that, you realize you're not the photographer. You're the one who has a vision for what the photo will be. Um, And I think the same is true for every medium. And the the quickest thing I wrote in my little notebook was Canva Mm -hmm. is kind of changing the game for graphic designers where Mm -hmm. if you thought as a graphic designer, your role was, you know, to create elements, you'd be kind of out of a job. But if you realize you're the one that sees the vision of what the brand will look like and, oh, you have a ton of stuff to choose from, but the people who made those kind of elements to choose from, maybe they're getting like a nickel royalty, but it's the graphic designer who's able to say, I'm planning this whole thing. They're the ones with a job still. Right. And we needed those people in the, like people who designed text and stuff way back when, and they still do. But we need those people, those giants, right, to like stand on shoulders of. So yeah. they're relevant, but now that they've made pieces for us to work with, we need to identify like, oh, we don't need to make any more pieces. We need to start putting puzzles together. Then mm-hmm. once we do that, there's going to be people later on that are also using what we've made as base pieces to make more art. Yeah. And so I think what this also brings up, because, you know, in my chest, I think, oh, that's there's a little bit of a a sadness to that of not having to create stuff from scratch anymore. And I think what we'll realize, again, kind of the differentiation between content creator and artist is we can still find the time to make something from scratch. Mm -hmm. We can still write a novel. We can still, you know, you know, create all the elements ourselves. And just because we have the ability to. Uh, do something very easily doesn't always mean we'll take it because sometimes the struggle is worth it. 
And just as a silly example, I think, you know, we could probably helicopter up to Mount Everest, but people climb up there because that's what makes it rewarding. And I think that's true for most creative mediums. But that at the same time, the the creative, the artist has to be willing to take advantage of the new technologies in their jobs they're getting paid to do. Because if you ignore them and say, you know, I only make this stuff from scratch, then you're just going to lose to someone else who knows how to use those technologies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like yeah. if your job was to get to the top, you're not going to climb the mountain. You're going to use a use the helicopter. But if you wanted to create something from an experience, you would climb the mountain. You wouldn't use the helicopter because from that experience of climbing it comes art that people consume from. But your creative job will contain thinking like, oh, climbing it would be more rewarding, but to get to the end point, the helicopter would be better which is that kind of sacrifice of meditation for communication. As we're kind of wrapping up this section on becoming the artist, I want to focus more on personal branding Mm -hmm. and less about, you know, freelancing, you know, doing stuff for other people. Mm -hmm. Because that is more of the artist is working on your personal brand. I want to hear for you. Has there ever been a time? I mean, I I would think so because you've been doing it so long. We're kind of the hype faded and Mm -hmm. Sveta draws just didn't have the same ring to it, you know, from your peers, from your friends or family. Ha- has there ever been that time? And what was that experience? I mean, maybe you talk about yeah. that. Yeah, I remember, well, I think going from grade school to high school, like that first year in high school in art class, it was like so exciting because people were like, whoa, you can draw. I'm like, yeah. And then second year, like sophomore year, I was in the same art class, the same people, and they kind of really go, so I can draw. And that's not what I'm drawing for. So it's like, oh, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but basically, so sophomore year, people are like, oh, so I can draw. And it's almost kind of nice because when it is all of that attention, I get kind of like when people are watching me draw, I feel like I have to do something different or be more flashy to impress them. And when people kind of get normalized with like, oh, you're really good at because it's not illustrating, it's like drawing specifically correctly. Once people understand like and kind of get bored with it, then I feel like I have this, the eyes are off and I can create how I want to and I can make mistakes. So I would say sophomore high school, everything happened, but the hype kind of faded, which was almost relieving for me. And then in college, again, like freshman year, everyone in your art class, you don't know who is you know gonna stick it out and then now that I'm a senior everybody in the art school kind of knows everybody and everyone knows their strengths and weaknesses of every art student and so it's kind it's just relieving almost to be able to create and people know that hey I'm not very good at this but I'm good at this I'm gonna try to see what this idea takes me through my strengths and I forgot the rest of the question no I mean you you answered it pretty well and I'll (laughs) I'll just ask a follow-up question that may not exactly relate to it but just the idea of originality as an artist i think as an artist where technology has made it so everyone is sharing their art all the time do you consciously think about making something original that's kind of part one of the question and part two is you know when you see all these other artists what is kind of your reaction to that Mm -hmm. Instagram? Yeah, specifically Instagram, because I think that's kind of the, the place for artists, but, you know, any any platform like yeah. that. Yeah, 
I save so much Instagram, like so many posts, and I need to come up with a thing where I go back and filter through because there's so many things that just I save and I'm, I'm like, this guy did that. I would have never thought to do that. But I can take a piece from that and be like, I really liked this one element, like creepy. Like right now I'm following this girl and she takes pictures of random things like a mug on a coaster and will outline it and kind of do that game where you draw a blob and then fill it in with something. You have to make it into like a creature or something. And so she'll, it was like a doorknob, her latest one. And then she made the screws of the eyes and made it like this monster. And I, I love that so much because people knowing that someone else played that game of like fill in the blob and make it something just that relation and connection through that makes me just really happy (laughs) so I save all of hers because I'm like I love that it's almost an abstract element and I want to figure out how to take that and use it in my art Mm -hmm. and completely something different so I like seeing multiple forms of art because then I'm like I can take this one little element and then definitely not do what she's doing so I'm like, if I ever come up with that idea, that idea, I know that it's from her and I need kind of pivot to something more original. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of people think like, oh, if you consume too much art, you're going to start making it. And I think that's only if you consume one form of art and you're like, this is the ultimate form. Mm-hmm. I need to do what they're doing. So Instagram's nice because it's just, it presents random things. And I know my Instagram's different from other people's. Yeah, so random yeah, random yeah. curation. So it's, kind of amazing in the sense that I can see so many artists that aren't 28,000 followers artists just minimal I don't know if you look up hashtags and just do most recent they can have like three likes nobody sees them but somehow I came across it and then I can communicate with that artist I can take stuff from their art and put it in my art and then knowing that it works the other way too so if I keep making content and hashtags and stuff like that people that I would have never yeah yeah, run across will pick it up yeah and I think I've been pessimistic because I've been impatient and I really held this belief you know at the beginning of when I was doing this purple elephant stuff of you know curation is a bad thing because the people who start with nothing in terms of followers Mm -hmm. um they really can't kind of get the the steam rolling get I don't know what the expression is get the train rolling (laughs) they can't get it going And because they've never got it going, the curation only does the more popular people. And it's kind of like a cycle where the success, success breeds success and failure breeds failure. But I've realized what you've said of sometimes you'll come across an artist and their posts are getting like 20 likes and you're like, this is really well done. And I just had a conversation with um, Tommy Jaruga from Mostly Yellow. And he's up to like, you know, 12,000 followers, which to me is a really big number. Yeah. And he said from one picture that was kind of like in the middle because he's only been doing it for like a year, sometime six months into going, one picture just blew up. Yeah. And a ton of like really huge collage artists just put it on their stories and he gained like the post got like 3,000 likes and yeah. got like a 1,000 followers and it just – the steam kept rolling. And I think that's a crazy example where – Sometimes you can't predict that stuff. Right. Um, and it sometimes you have to keep with the mindset of slowly by like brick by brick, yeah. I'll build that audience and maybe something like that happens, yeah. but that can't be counted on. Right. It's like the kind of avalanche effect where you can keep picking at it and eventually if you 
hammer away, it'll get there. But you could hit that one rock that just yeah. everything falls. And I think um, what I think about is, you know, I haven't got the the level of success that I want in terms of the, the following on Purple Elephant, mainly followers. And, of, of course, that's kind of a, a vanity metric. Mm. But I'm not at that level that I want. And first of all, it forces me to get more creative, get more innovative. And we'll talk about this in part two of this of, yeah. you know, the structure of your creativity. But it also makes me think I'm glad it's not blowing up because if there's ever that day yeah. where, you know, that one photo blows up, people will go on my website and realize I'm not a one hit wonder. I've been yeah. making the yeah. same stuff, you know, day after day, same yeah. blog post, same, you know, podcast week after week. And that's what I'm proud of mm-hmm. is the fact that if someone ever did look at my stuff, yeah. I have that credibility through ethos where, right. you know, I've been doing it. And it's making you, you not having all of those followers. Number one, you don't have those eyes on you right now. So it's allowing you to be creative and really just dig into yourself and figure out what you would make if you did have those and kind of appeal to an audience. But also something else is going to say, shoot. Well, can I just expand on that? I mean, it's the, this, I don't know if this is a myth as much, but with one hit wonders, we think, you know, oh, they blew up, they got lucky. And we don't, see all the other songs they made and how they kept on going after it even when you know they had their one song and then they made another album and people didn't like it they didn't stop making music and they didn't only make that one song and i think as we kind of have more access to everyone through digital stuff and you know you're not just bound to buy the one record we can see this whole person's kind of creative history and because of that i think we're going to see more often that people aren't one hit wonders. Even if they have one thing that blows up, they've been making work that rhymes. And we'll get into that in episode two. So, And you're setting up like a, almost a manual of how you got there. If people see one of your posts and they're like, this is so cool. They can go back and see like all of the work that you did to get there. And it's almost like explaining yourself of like, I'm not just getting lucky. I did this. For those listening, we're going to transition into part two of this, which will be out, I don't know, next week or two weeks from now. And I mean, obviously we're recording it at the exact same time, but Mm -hmm. this conversation in part two is going to focus more on you know, what are the options for monetizing that don't look like just selling posters? Um, talking about other options to sustain yourself as a creative, financially speaking. We're also going to get into, you know, how do you focus on your audience? How do you know what they want and how do you avoid giving up artistic integrity? And maybe what does that even mean? So for those who are curious, I hope you'll be back in two weeks and at least next week there will be an interview. I'm not sure who it's going to be with, but we will see you shortly. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next week.